So the passage that um, we're going to read from is Matthew 11, and Amanda read it, and Jesus' words say this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, Jesus is speaking into a world of high expectations. He is speaking into a world where people understand the nature of hard work. He's talking to fishermen. They work long hours. He's talking to himself. He's a carpenter. Day laborers, tax collectors, everyday people with a lot of work to do. And he's also speaking into an environment that is um, politically volatile. There's a lot of uncertainty. Rome is the occupying power and they never know as a people who is going to be put over them to rule them out of that ruling um, kind of entity. And so they don't know what that will mean for their well-being. And so there's this instability or volatility that comes with um, the political system and nature under which they have to live. And that's not too different from our own lives now. We live in a world with its own kind of expectations. Our daily lives mimic theirs in some ways. You have jobs that you do, most of you, every day. Got to pay your taxes. You work long hours, some of you. Some of you very long hours whether that's studying or working or caring for others. And we have our own kind of political uncertainty. And it's um, particularly uncertain at the moment as we look to 2020. And Jesus' words come into our space and say, come here to me. Come here to me, all of you who are weary and weighed down by it all. Come to me. I want to give you rest. I venture to say that there's not one person in this room that doesn't need to hear those words. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And a yoke is not something that we... You know, when did you last hear that word? How's your yoke going? Yeah, probably not in the last, like, ever. It's not something that's part of our vernacular. It's not something that's part of our, like, everyday visual, but it was in theirs. It was a piece of equipment that was used for working, and they would see it frequently. It either yoked two animals together to distribute the load as, though, as it was working the land. Agrarian culture, they used animals to do some of the heavy lifting for them. And so the yoke distributed the load between those animals. And sometimes a, a yoke was like a personal thing that fit on a, a human's body because they would carry things. And so it distributed the load for them so it wasn't as heavy when they would walk many miles carrying heavy loads. 
So they would immediately have this visual or this practical thing that comes to mind when Jesus says that. He also referred to the yoke of the Pharisees. This is the religious elite. And he often said that they place this like heavy load of expectation on the people. And he, he talks about that yoke that these religious elite placed on that. So it put, could be in this moment that Jesus is juxtaposing his way from their way. And when we think of rest, we don't always think of work. And so why does Jesus communicate about this working piece of equipment um, when he's talking about rest? So why doesn't he talk about a break? A little holiday in Hawaii, maybe? Why doesn't he offer answers to hard questions or a way to escape the pressure of it all? I think the reason that Jesus says this is because he knows that the most restful gift he can give to the tired is a new way to carry life. A new way to hold responsibility, to bear a burden. Because realistically, life is a succession of weighty things. We can't get out from, from that reality. My grandmother is 98. Pretty epic. Um, she wrote her first book at 92. So she was not preparing to slow down. Um, and at 98, at the age of 98, she broke her leg three times. The first time she was outside feeding the birds and she broke her leg and she just lay outside for a couple of hours because she couldn't become mobile. So thankfully my aunt had gone to see her and they found that she'd broken her leg and so they took her um, into the hospital. She was there for a number of months and then I got a call to say after she'd spent a lot of time recovering that somebody, she'd fallen again and had broken her leg again. And when you Google, which you should never do, um, breaking your leg at old age, they're like, usually, statistically, you have about a year to live after that because the recovery is so arduous. So I was like, I need to go see my grandma. May not have that much time left with her. And so I got on the plane. I went to Colorado. My grandma lives in Colorado with my uncle. And um, there she was in the hospital. And she was in a lot of pain. But she was also quite jovial. She has a good sense of humor and she likes to chit-chat and make jokes with the nurses. Um, so the PT was coming in every day and she had to do this hard work, this hard work of recovery. And the PT did not hold back. That woman was having none of it. So she had to do like these leg lifts, you know, and come, this woman is so fragile. She's 98 and I'm like literally wincing in my chair, like taking deep breaths. And my grandmother has this like look on her face and then she has to sit on the edge of the bed and like push herself up and the PT is like, do you think you can push yourself up on the bed? And she's like, just whoop, pushes herself right back on the bed. And the PT looks at me and she just gets me right in the eyes and she's like, this woman defies all odds. And I was like, in that moment, I felt both proud of her and also sad for her. I was like, at 98, dude, the struggle is still real. She is in a lot of pain. 
took a lot of discipline for her to do whatever this like 30-something PT is telling her to do. She's like, I don't even know how long I'm going to have to shuffle around the world. But there she was. She was doing the hard work. So it doesn't matter what life stage we're in, there's work to do. The weight of the circumstances that we carry or the burdens that we have to bear, they don't necessarily get easier or stop. There's no end date on hard work. My grandmother reflected that back to me. And so each of you are in your own set of circumstances. And Jesus invites you to himself because he has a way that he wants us. He has a way that he wants you to carry life. And a yoke wasn't a sitting instrument. It was a walking one. And he says, learn from me in this moment. Verse 29, learn from me. Why should we learn from him? Because there's a way that Jesus does things that's peculiar. It's very peculiar. And we usually pick things up when we're in proximity to other people. I can often tell when people have been in proximity to me for a while because they pick up a little something in them. Accent. Or even if they're just, uh, just like encountering me, it's like, oh, hello, da, da, da. Americans who like put on British accents always have this like la 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 sound to it. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I don't sound like that. <laughs> but there's a, in proximity, like we pick things up from each other. I know that firsthand. And I don't mind, by the way, if you do that. And so Jesus wants us to be in proximity to him because of what we will pick up from him. It's what this series is all about, that we end up practicing his ways. The next verse tells us the fruit of being near him would be gentleness because he says that his heart, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, or gentle and humble of heart. And so he wants us to be in proximity because there is a gentleness to his own heart that he wants us to experience. And honestly, I don't think we encounter gentleness very often. Gentleness is a rare commodity. I was in the park the other day and this man was yelling really loud at somebody who was with him and that person was vulnerable. And so I just made eye contact with him and then he started yelling at me. I was like, I wonder what this human has been experiencing to where there's, a, there's a, such a hostility and an aggression that he would like forcefully yell at me. There's an Irish poet and a writer, John O'Donoghue, and he talks about how difficult it is in such a harsh, weighty and unjust world to reach and sustain gentleness. It doesn't take long on Twitter or on the news or sometimes just listening to a conversation in a store to know that gentleness and humility are rare. It's a rare encounter 
the encounter with gentleness. And gentleness is both a temperament and a behavior. When you're gentle, you're kind and you're considerate. You have an understanding and a compassion. When you're gentle, you're usually unhurried. But it's not weakness or niceness. It takes a lot of strength to be kind. It takes a lot of strength to be compassionate and to be understanding. It takes a lot less strength to be judgmental and critical and rude. So it is not weak and it is not limp. With gentleness comes strength. There's a power behind and in gentleness. It takes a lot of power to avoid harshness. And so it would make sense that here Jesus pairs it with humility. With humility, you're not a know-it-all, not arrogant or conceited, not condescending or overbearing. It's not what happens. You have humility and you actually have to be willing to give up control and understand your own limitations with both gentleness and humility. And so Jesus here is telling us that he's not standing over us overbearingly and condescendingly, but he's with us. Come to me. Come and learn from me. Come be by me. Be in proximity to me so that you can understand this. Own this. Feel this, experience this from me. I do respite for foster care. If any of you ever want to talk about how amazing respite is, come and see me. And respite is you just give parents who are foster mothers or fathers or adopting, you give them a break every now and then. There's tons of need for respite care providers. So I'd love it if any of you want to do that. And I've done respite care for a couple of families, both here in Oregon and now both here in Oregon, because we're in Oregon right now, <laughs> both here in Utah and in Oregon. And um, this, I have two, I've had two families here that I've done respite for, and one family had some very small children. And I got to meet them, who was a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And um, at the time, the family taught me how to come alongside their little boy because he was learning about being gentle. He'd come from a really, really harsh environment. And so the things that he had learned most commonly was how to be harsh. He'd come from a very difficult space. And so he was learning about gentleness. And in his anger, what he really liked to do was like push his little sister or like pull her or grab her. And it was pretty aggressive the way that he would do that. And so the parents taught me how they were teaching him to learn gentleness. And so whenever he was doing something um, aggressive um, towards his sister, we would go and sit on this couch together. And the idea is that you don't leave the child, you stay with the child when you're teaching them. And so he, you know, it'd be, uh-oh. And he'd be like, and then we'd have to... 
put his toys down, the things that he was playing with. He wasn't allowed to play with those anymore. And we would go and sit on the white couch. So there we would go, and we would sit on the white couch, and we'd just kind of sit for a second and let ourselves breathe, just settle into the couch. And then I'd look at him, and I'd say, remember, soft touches. I'd be like, can I show you soft touches? He'd always look at me and be like, And so then I'd rub his little arm and I'd be like, soft touches. Then I'd be like, can you show me soft touches? And then he'd like reach over and he'd be like, (laughs) show me his soft touches. And then I was like, now can you show baby sister soft touches? And then he'd be like, a little soft touch on the cheek, a little soft touch on the hand. And I'd be like, that's right, buddy. Good job. Soft touches. Remember? Soft touches for your baby sister. And then we get off the couch, we play again, and then inevitably, like a few minutes, not always a few minutes, but you know, we would did we did that very often, let's just say that. We spent a bit of time on the white couch. Because gentleness is not easy to learn. Especially when you've come from harsh environments. We live in harsh environments. Or we've experienced harshness. Gentleness is also not easy when we're weighted down. When we're tired. That's why Jesus wants us to come to him. Sit on the white couch. Because his heart is gentle. And he understands gentleness. And he's in it with us. Amicio, he never gets tired of teaching. He's never tired of that teaching moment. Because he wants us to understand his heart is gentle. And he wants us to know and understand gentleness. So he says, come to me. Learn from me. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm like, no, it's not. Jesus, I read that and I'm all, no, no, no. I don't know why you just said that. Because I don't think that loving my enemy is that easy. And I don't think forgiving those who have hurt me is that easy. And I don't think blessing those who have cursed me or praying for those who have abused me. Like, you've said that about forgiveness, and we went through that together. And so when you say the way that you do things is easy, I kind of want to call you bluff a little. None of that is easy. It's difficult, right? So why would he say that his way of life is easy? Why would he say that here? That his yoke is easy, the way, the way that you carry life. And I think that um, when we look at the context of this passage, it broadens and gives us insight as to why he would say that. The stories that follow, chapter 11, he moves into chapter 12. And the stories that follow that are both stories on the Sabbath day. 
And the Sabbath day was the day of rest. And so I don't think it's coincidental that the stories that happen on the day of rest follow Jesus' words about rest. I don't think the writer is doing that coincidentally. And the Old Testament gave very few guidelines around the Sabbath day, the day of rest. But the Pharisaic scribes, the religious elite of that time, um, they had um, made some very clear guidelines for what you couldn't and couldn't do, could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. For example, you're not supposed to tie a knot. You're not supposed to sew two stitches together. You are not supposed to extinguish a flame, and the list goes on. You can imagine trying to memorize all the things you can and can't do on the Sabbath in order to honor it as a holy day. It's kind of like unrestful to even think through all the things you can and cannot do, right? You like pull up the binder and you're like, wait, can I blow out this candle? Nope, can't do it. This is a bit exhausting. Kind of defeats the purpose of resting. And so right after Jesus talks about rest, he's on the Sabbath day, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And he's out about with his disciples and they're walking through these grain fields. And one of the, the disciples, or a few of them, they grab the grain and they rub the grain together. And inside, there are these kernels that you can eat. And so they start to eat the kernels that they've rubbed the chaff off. And now they have this thing that they can put in their mouth and get nourishment from. These religious elite are following Jesus and watching him and um, they look at Jesus and they say, look, your disciples are not doing what is lawful on the Sabbath. Because doing the grain on the Sabbath was unlawful. They're condescending, overbearing. Right after that, he goes into the synagogue, the place of worship, and the same type of folks, these religious elite, they're pointing to a man with a withered hand and they're trying to catch Jesus out. And they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus is pretty disgusted with them. And so he just looks back at them and he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And the obvious answer to that is yes. But in their minds, it's like, no, it's work. And so there's nothing about these religious leaders that is gentle and humble. Nothing about them. It's almost the exact opposite. They are characterized by their strictness and their perfectionism. And Jesus later in this gospel of Matthew chapter 23, he rebukes them because they put such heavy burdens on people, the burdens of expectation and demands. And they'd become so encumbered under a way of life that had made them demanding both of themselves and of others. The way that, they'd lived, the way that they lived and the way that they expected others to live was demanding as if the expectations of life, the work that they did already, as if the expectations from Rome wasn't already heavy enough. They had then heaped additional expectation and demands and encumbered them under it. It's weightiness. 
And I think that is sometimes what has been done to us. From our own religious traditions, or our own familial expectations, or even cultural norms. That we are encumbered under a way of life that just feels consistently demanding. You can hardly get a breath. And it's not only these external realities, but it's also what we do. Like we pick up a way of life in the midst of what's already harsh and weighty that makes it even more difficult to reach and sustain gentleness. And so we pick up a life where we demand perfection from ourselves. Or do we demand perfection from others? We pick up a way of life where we demand success or productivity out of ourselves or out of others. Achievement, doing more, working harder, spending more time on it. We have pick up a, a way of life where there's no room for failure or fragility or human limitation or getting it wrong. And so we lose ourselves. We lose ourselves to irritability and anger and the need to control outcomes and have it our way. We're surrounded by kind of this external weightiness and then we load it on ourselves internally by how we carry and pick up life. I think that's why Jesus wants us to be by him. He wants to rescue us from all of that. He wants to offer us a way of life that is marked by love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness. And the way that we do it is that we live in proximity to him, the one who is gentle. Come to me, all you, all y'all. Come to me. you weary and weighed down, and I'll give you rest. And so this week, when we think about a practice that might lead to gentleness, I want you to practice something that puts you in proximity to Jesus. That puts you by him. So that you can learn from him. And so maybe instead of just looking into a cubicle, all day long, you find something beautiful. Johnny likes to mock me sometimes because I just look out the window. Doing nothing except looking out the window. 
There's lots of things out the window that like to invite you to gentleness. Sometimes birds are fighting, but they're still gentle. And thank God for the beautiful thing. Take a walk at lunch instead of pushing through your day. Or take a walk mid-morning instead of pushing through your day. Ask a friend to pray for you. There may be a space in you that needs gentleness. Tell them, I need you to be gentle with me. I'm afraid, I'm anxious, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm hurting, I'm weighed down. I need you to be tender with me. Ask a friend to pray for you. Ask somebody here to pray for you. Read this verse every day. And let yourself have a bit of silence on either side. Monsieur, let's take on the wisdom of Everett. How can you remind yourself with a kind and respectful voice this week? Be gentle towards yourself. Be gentle towards yourself. When you hear that critical voice, when you hear that condemning voice, when you hear that voice that is tell you, telling you that you haven't done enough, remind yourself with a kind and respectful voice to be gentle. And then be gentle towards others. And do something this week that will help you to listen. Listen to the invitation to be gentle. Listen to the invitation to put yourself in proximity to Jesus so that you can hear from him because he is gentle and humble of heart. Jesus wants us to be with him so we can learn from him. Not so that we can have more demands piled on our lives. Come to me, all y'all who labor. All of you who are heavy laden. And Jesus will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you. Not the yoke of religion, not the yoke of family, not the yoke of culture not the yoke of your own internal demands, take his yoke upon you and learn from him because his heart is gentle. That doesn't mean he doesn't have power. It doesn't mean that he's just nice. There's a strength that he has and a strength that he gives to avoid hostility in order to be able to own kindness and compassion and understanding. Learn from him. And you will find rest for your souls. A way to carry the burden that is manageable and holdable and sustainable.
Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your people. Thank you that you never get tired of teaching us. That you're happy to sit on the white couch and remind us once again, soft touches. Soft touches towards yourself, Heather. Soft touches towards others. Jesus, I pray that we would, as a community, let ourselves live in proximity to you so that we can hear that, not hear the violent, hostile voices that are constantly around us and constantly in us. So Jesus, we need to hear from you through your spirit so that the fruit that flows out of us is gentleness. And so I pray that each person in this room would pick up a practice this week that puts them in proximity to you so that there can be a powerful thing that happens from us as Missio Day in this city this week. A powerful thing that is kindness, a powerful thing that is compassion, a powerful thing that is understanding. And that that would happen in the context of our families, that that would happen in the context of our workplaces, that that would happen in the context of our classrooms, Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us all that we need to have a sound mind and to be powerful and loving. So I pray that this week our practice would be to be close to you so that we can know you and learn from you and that your heart towards us is gentle. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.